0: Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. What's trending on Money FM 89.3?
1: good afternoon. I'm Bin Jung and here's what's trending today. Now, as COVID-19 transitions into a recurring and more familiar health concern, is there a new upcoming pandemic we should be concerned about? Perhaps it could be disease X. Now, as per the recent findings, disease X could be 20 times more fatal than the COVID-19 virus. Now, before we get too concerned here, disease disease X is a hypothetical disease. In fact, this issue made it onto the agenda of the World Economic Forum in Davos in Switzerland that's happening this week with the WHO Director General joining other health officials to discuss which novel efforts are needed to prepare healthcare systems for the multiple challenges ahead. So what exactly is disease X and how can we prepare for it? Well, to find out more, joining us today is Professor Dale Fisher from the NUS Young Lu Lin School of Medicine and he's a senior consultant at the National University Hospital. Professor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sumbin. Thank you for joining me today. Well, Professor, you know, the World Health Organization, it added disease X in 2017 to a short list of pathogens alongside known killers like, you know, severe acute respiratory syndrome and Ebola. So what exactly is disease X?
0: Now, as you mentioned, Hongbin, it's a theoretical Mm -hmm. disease, really just to focus on like a worst scenario. As you say, it was in 2017 that the concept came up Mm -hmm. to describe a highly infective, very serious, lethal, perhaps novel virus with high levels of human-to-human transmission that can spread through the community and cross countries very easily. So it's just that sort of worst scenario and let's discuss that and have some planning around if this happened.
1: So, I mean, as you mentioned, it's something unknown and it's a hypothetical pathogen. I mean, it's been deemed as a top priority for research for the WHO. But why is it a priority? I mean, what's the point of studying disease X when we don't really know anything about it?
0: I wouldn't say we don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, We would have some ideas. For instance, SARS, MERS, COVID, Mm -hmm. they were all coronaviruses. We know avian flu and swine flu, the influenza viruses can also do it. It's possible to model it along those types of things, and you can even do testing of therapeutics and vaccines that are in those families. You can also look at research to how a country could respond, Mm -hmm. the healthcare system, all the various pillars of outbreak response, because, you know, you need good communications, you need good laboratory support, good leadership structures in whatever the outbreak is. So there's a lot of Mm commonalities that you can have in place even before you know what the precise disease
1: is. Mm, okay. So, you know, in fact, the WHO has even warned that this unknown disease X could result in 20 times more fatalities than the COVID 19 pandemic. Should we be concerned?
0: To be honest, I'd be more concerned if we weren't talking about this sort of thing. (laughs) If we put COVID behind us and said, I'm glad that's over, then Mm -hmm. obviously that would be a mistake. The 20 times business is, again, just a number for a scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many people would say that actually COVID was the first disease. Mm -hmm. But I must say one thing that does concern me is there's lots of talk about preparedness, which, of course, I fully support, Mm -hmm. but there's no talk about prevention. How do we actually stop these spillover events from animals to humans and things like that. I'd like to see that more on the agenda as well, actually preventing Mm -hmm. outbreaks.
1: Okay, so I mean, this issue has even made it onto the agenda of the World Economic Forum that's happening in Davos, with the WHO Director General also joining other health officials to discuss it. In fact, the session was yesterday. So preparedness, planning, as you mentioned, technology and equity, they were some of the highlighted key words during this session. So maybe we could just dive in a little bit here. How can countries, you know, enhance their preparedness and create robust systems to effectively manage any potential breakouts?
0: We knew before COVID, it was certainly highlighted during COVID, the phases of an outbreak situation. So preparedness is Mm -hmm. fundamental. If you're not prepared, then you're not going to be able to respond quickly. But then after that, there's this... A small phase called readiness, which in this situation would like January, February 2020, you sort of knew it was coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But how much did you get your lab tests ready or your workflows or your surge capacities? How much work did you do in the readiness phase so that then when it's time to respond, because you're suddenly seeing quite a lot of cases, then you can respond. Mm-hmm. So you need to look at all the pillars of outbreak response, whether it's laboratory or case management or infection control or all these types of things, you know, managing mental health uh, issues that arise during an outbreak. All of those components, including leadership and Mm -hmm. logistics, I guess, all these types of things need to be prepared and then made ready and then put in place to respond. You know, a lot of countries had problems with developing a whole of government, whole of community approach, but Singapore was very strong there. There has to be an appreciation that it's not just health and it's not even just the public sector. Mm-hmm. It's everyone needs to be involved and there needs to be public trust in this system and of course we saw overseas where the community didn't have trust in government or at least adequate trust mm. then people wouldn't do what was necessary to fight the outbreak. So I think there's many high and low income country matters that can be addressed in this what we're now in, which is a new preparedness phase.
1: I see. Well in terms of equity then, what kind of tactics should be used to ensure that you know healthcare research covers a wide spectrum and how can we ensure that you know this information is accessible to all, especially when COVID nineteen was happening, we saw lot of fake news surrounding vaccines and such?
0: Well, okay, so there's two things to pull out there. The Mm -hmm. first thing is defining the research priorities, and WHO do this on a regular basis. Mm. So to, I guess, support other global and national organizations that are involved in research. There's global. Organisations, there's certainly Singapore, NUS, Ministry of Health and the National Centre for Infectious Disease, among others, ASTAR, all these other organisations were heavily involved in COVID research and really informed our response. As far as the communications go, we also saw during COVID that the information was really fast-tracked. These things would normally take months and months to come through the publication process because they want to make sure it's right. But Mm. the risk appetite, I guess, for making sure it was right was was appropriately balanced with the fact that we had to get this information out quickly. So it was fast-tracked, it was all available free online, all the journals made all these publications available. So accessibility was really amazing. You could just go on to Google and find most of these, mm. these important publications.
1: Right, right. And I mean, we have all these advancements in technology that could also, you know, help with the preparation and stuff. So with, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, being increasingly used in our everyday lives, can AI also help with addressing the lack of resources in, let's say, underdeveloped countries ahead of a possible pandemic?
0: I think it can be used in all countries, but as you say, particularly Mm -hmm. underdeveloped countries, we saw contact tracing is normally done by teams of people uh, making phone calls and things like that, but we saw Bluetooth devices and these types of things that could really automate the whole of contact tracing and it could become much faster. Mm -hmm. It can be a lot of help with decision-making support and doing risk assessments, using big data for real-time analyses of epidemiology and risk assessments and outcomes of interventions. It can support modeling. We saw modeling try and predict a whole lot of what was happening uh, or what would happen if you did that intervention. Mm-hmm. But I think with AI, then that can get even more precise. So I think it can be a tremendous supplement it'll always be a supplement Mm. we can't just leave it alone but uh, also in training there's a lot of technologies I think training is normally a very manual thing face-to-face or telehealth now Mm -hmm. but things like serious gaming with scenarios that uh, where people can learn about outbreak response and what to do I think there's opportunities in, in training to build capacities as well.
1: Right. So one of the key solutions shared during this meeting in Davos was the pandemic agreement, which is a shared response by different countries on how, you know, to prepare for future pandemics. And it's currently in the negotiating stage and its intended deadline is in May 2024. Now, we're just a couple months away from the May 2024 deadline. What critical areas do you believe should be added to improve global readiness for, you know, future pandemics?
0: Yeah, it's about the international cooperation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Countries are obviously going to have their own situations within the country, but when you start getting affected by other countries' policies, that's when you get the problems. So we saw national hoarding of PPE and then later vaccines, so people would stop exporting their masks, so some countries couldn't get them, and of course... If you didn't make vaccine in your own country, then you were down the end of the queue. Supply chains for food, we had to do some very clever things with Malaysia to, to help our, our food mm. supply continue to come. So I think there's, there's quite a lot to do. Also sharing of information, making sure that, that anything one country learns is shared by all the other countries. So I think, yeah, this is a promising document. I'm looking forward to seeing it hopefully in, in March.
1: I mean, you did mention it's an international cooperation. So what hurdles do you see in obtaining an agreement among these different countries? And how can these challenges be overcome in order to fulfill that 2024 May deadline?
0: I don't want to be too negative at the start, but geopolitics always seems to worm its way in and countries blaming other countries. So they really have to get over that and then try and make it as legally binding as possible you can make all the promises that you like on these sort of documents but Mm -hmm. then when it comes are you going to support it and this is why systems will also be important so rather than asking countries can you be more generous with your vaccines next time Mm -hmm. then maybe we just need more develop more centers around the world to develop vaccines so that uh, equity can be provided through a system rather than a promise.
1: So looking ahead, Professor Fisher, what kind of preparations would be required for an effective response to possible infectious threats? And how can countries like here in Singapore proactively prepare for such instances? Well,
0: I think what we found in Singapore through COVID was that we were very well prepared and we did mm. get ready in those couple of months. And therefore, the response was sound, And that was based on pretty strong public trust people believing in their health system and the community engaging in in the interventions, if you like. You know, this is what other countries are going to have to look to do. I think across Asia, the response was very strong, even though you might have expected it to be stronger in the more Western countries. So it's about every country needs to look at all of its pillars of outbreak response and make sure that the trust got that leadership capacity, that they can adapt their leadership structures in a time of crisis.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You saw a multi-ministry task force come to the head because that was very early understanding. That mm-hmm. first met on January 24th, 2020. They were ahead of the game. This was going to affect the whole country, not just the health system. So I think some countries will benefit from strengthening their pillars, their mm-hmm. capacities within their health systems. Others will benefit from developing their communications and trust and coordination, if you like. So every country needs to look at where it can do better.
1: I see. Well, thank you so much, Professor Fisher, for your time and your insights today. My pleasure, Hongbin. Thank you. We've been speaking with Professor Dale Fisher, who is from the NUS Young Lu Lin School of Medicine and who is a senior consultant at National University Hospital, Singapore. I'm Hong Bin Jung, and this has been What's Trending. Stay with Money FM 89.3.
0: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O audio at the App Store and Google Play.